Welcome to the Firetime Podcast, where it's never hot enough, slow is fast, and the way to win is to make it so stupidly easy to buy from you that there's no excuse not to. I'm your host, Tim Reed. And once again, I'm so excited to be here today. Welcome to the Firetime Podcast. Well, we have officially turned the corner where we're in the home stretch of season nine of the podcast, which is just amazing to think about. We've spent time early in the season talking with up and coming leaders in the industry. We shifted the focus to speak with peak performers. And as we close out now, we are going to be talking with legacy makers. And my definition of someone who's a legacy maker is someone who has served our industry and given value for a long time, like decades and decades of time. And they're someone that whenever the time is for them to step away, there will be a legacy that's in place and very large shoes to fill. And these upcoming conversations are really special to me because these are people that I have just deep, deep respect for. And they're people that I want to be like when I grow up, frankly. Now, you might say that uh, I'm already grown up, but I think I still have a lot of maturing to do. And in each of these conversations, we are going to hit a different angle that I, I think these people specialize in. And today's episode is actually part of a conversation that I had with Jerry and Cheryl Eisenhower live from the Chimney Expo in King of Prussia, Pennsylvania. And This conversation is all about how to grow your business in an economic downturn. Now, as you're listening to this right now, depending on where you are in the country, you may not feel like it, but I'm telling you, as I've talked to more and more folks across this country, business in general is slowing down. And while things might be busy where you are because the time of year and because the the pent up backlog that you haven't been able to work through from the summer sales, we are seeing consumer behaviors start to change a little bit. And I think that the wisdom that Jerry and Cheryl give in this conversation is just really, really good. So I'm going to step out of the way and let you hear this conversation. There is a lot that we cover and I will share some thoughts on the back end. Hey everybody, how you doing? Welcome to the Firetime Podcast live from Chimney Expo. I'm here with Jerry and Cheryl. How you guys doing? Hey man, we are doing great and it's so good to see you up early on East Coast time, Tim. That had to be heck for you this morning. Well, you know, I don't know if it was worse for me or for Cheryl. You said that we're lucky to have you, right, this early? No, I'm a morning person. You're lucky <laughs> to have Jerry. Yeah. No, I, I got a text from Jerry at about 5.15 Eastern and it said, welcome to East Coast time. And I thought, yeah, this is this is about 2.15 a.m. my time. But that's mm-hmm. okay. I'm, I'm excited. First off, I, I've actually never been to the Chimney Expo before. And so I feel like I've just kind of dipped my toe in the water into the chimney side of the fireplace industry where, you know, most of my career has truly been on just like appliance sales and, and retail and everything included there. And it, it's been really cool to experience this other side, but this is kind of where you guys have come from, right? Well, I started out as a chimney sweep, Tim, and then went into retail very quickly within about six months after I went into the chimney service business. I bought my retail, my first retail store, and we set up from there. But, you know, I know when I first met you a couple of years ago, and I don't think you realized the potent power that was on the service side of this industry, including the appliance sales. I think that has blown your mind what you've learned about this since we've known each other. Oh, no, it, it, it definitely has. Yeah. And, and I think that 
I, I'm definitely seeing the different sides of it. It's, it's kind of like two sides of a coin. I think there's some things that the hearth retailers have figured out that the chimney companies are kind of just coming on to and vice versa. There's a lot that the chimney companies have figured out that hearth retailers are ages and ages behind on. We think about in-home sales and managing a process. So, you know, Jerry, as much as I want to talk to you, we have your better half right next to you. And I mean that, Cheryl. I did. Thanks for being here. <laughs> You're welcome. So, yeah, as you know, it's funny. I, I actually wanted to connect with both of you guys as when this podcast goes goes live, we're going to be in the middle of our season going through different phases of you know, running a business. And, and I wanted to have you guys on towards the tail end to talk about legacy makers, people that have been in the industry for a long time serving it, that are truly leaving a legacy behind that will be you know remembered for generations. And and I, I when I think about the two of you, you guys are such a power team and I, I truly don't know anyone in the industry that puts out more content than the two of you. I, I just, I, I don't, I, I mean, it is, it is amazing what you guys do. And, and Cheryl, you know, could you talk just a little bit about your background? Cause I mean, you do so much for the industry between manufacturing and, you know, working with businesses and just your insights and training that you've had. Well, basically I started in construction at six years old. My dad had me laying brick then. So we moved into that fairly easy, and then, I mean, if you want the whole background, yeah. I ended up opening a wallpaper service that I ran for 22 years, and after, during that time, I drove a tractor trailer <laughs> for 230,000 miles. Then I met Jerry. Um, I guess the next was the limo service. The limo service? Yeah. I took him out on Saturday for his birthday, bought a limo on Monday, and had a limo service on Tuesday. Wow. So I don't do anything really slow. Uh, I made some really good decisions. I've been lucky as fast as I make them not to fall on my head a lot. Okay. But then once got rid of the... um, Got out of everything else, started working in Jerry's retail business. And then we took the retail business into the manufacturing also because I had this I had a background in construction and he has the background in gap. Yeah. And we moved into what was at that time Islands by Design. Okay. And then in 2010, I bought IBD out completely. Wow. So I still have my manufacturing business, but I don't spend as much time in it. I have two children there. They're running the business. And basically I run I run about ninety percent of my time in Jerry's business. Yeah. I'm a Ziegler certified coach and trainer and I do it under his umbrella. I'm a disc assessor. I've gone as far into that. And that's pretty much where Cheryl comes from. So you know, as we jump into this, there's a couple questions that that people have asked that I want to get to here. But both of you guys have seen a lot of economic ups and downs. You know, for me in the industry, I really got started, you know, around 2005 or so. And so I, I was in it in 2008, but I was not plugged in any, you know, capacity thinking it'd be my career. My eyes weren't open really to what was going on. Can you guys talk about what, what you've seen in, you know, the ups and downs of the economy? Because I, I feel like, you know, whether we're in a recession or going into a recession, that's for other people besides us to, to determine. But we know that the ride we've been on for the last seven years is not, it's just not going to continue. And we're 
we are starting to see things tighten a little bit. And I'd love to hear just you from you guys historically about what you've seen and, and been through with the ups and downs. Well, um, I started work. I started the wallpapering in 1978, four, 1974, I guess. And so notoriously, you're going to watch the economy go up eight and down eight. Yeah. That's not a perfect number, but that's the way it is. Sometimes it goes up slow and down slow. Sometimes it's the other way around. And so I've seen it come down slow. I've also seen the bottom drop out. Yeah. And that was like in 2008 when it just went to, excuse my French, hell in a handbasket. So we, we've ridden it. You ride it up and down. This is not new to anybody. The thing that makes it more prevalent in my book is the fact that the Internet's out there now. More people see it. More people touch it. Yeah. A lot of the rural parts of the country didn't feel the recessions as bad as the cities or the hierarchy. We uh, were able to ride it through, but this time you're following the Internet, and then we threw COVID in. So it's been definitely a different year, and I know Jerry's got his take on that also. Okay. So, well, Tim, when you talk about economic downturns, I have been through several in my life, okay? And they have been during times that I have owned a business in the hearth and the chimney service business because I was in both as I had a chimney service business and a retail store. And I don't know if you remember, I asked you before we started when you graduated high school. So one of those economic downturns was when you were just a child, and that was in the 80s in a period that was called Reaganomics, okay? We had went from more democratic uh, control into a Republican with Ronald Reagan. And we were in a heap of trouble. And during the 80s, interest rates, mortgage loans, and all that rose dramatically. It was up in the 16, 17% rate for people. And I know people that have mortgages at 15%, 16% from that period of time. And what we saw at that term, time was a tremendous downturn in the economy. And like Cheryl said, one of the things was used it in travel today. Sure. Today, if somebody gets shot within instance, it's all over the place. We see it social media, Twitter, everything else. We survived that period. And one of the things I said in my mind was we just weren't going to participate. Okay. We weren't going to participate in the recession. I and I it. think that's what people have to start out yep. with is a decision that you're not going to participate into it. Yeah. But then we went to another period. Okay. Like I said, if you study history, economics goes up, it goes down. I recently read a book, which was the history of companies in the United States and watch and how, where you could see different companies come up, then they go down. If we look at it, we even see it today. We're circuit city, best buys going away. You yep. look at the total change. But then we came to 07, 08, 09 during that period. And that was a severe one because we had the big seven bank crack. Yeah. Okay. The big seven. And that was the master banks. That was the Wall Street banks. And we watched the mortgage crisis going in this country. Now, during this period of time, if you've ever read my book, Chaos to Reinvention, that's when we got debilitated. I mean, that recession put me out of business. When you, Cheryl just talked to you about, she had bought IBD. Well, that was during that period of time because 
my life fell completely apart. That's when everything changed for us. Mm -hmm. But we're seeing the same indications out here right now. When you see the interest rates rising, we're seeing inflation coming in. And as we as we look at today, in fact, we got a couple people in the audience. They're from the Northeast. We're not seeing the downturn yet in the Northeast. It is coming. We're seeing the downturn starting in the mid-Atlantic states going south. I was talking to one of my clients has a rather a very large retail operation, and they have seen a tremendous downturn in the last 60 days, which we've heard it from across the country. Consumers are now looking at their expenditures yeah. much harder, and they're getting scared because we read the news, yep. and the news affects us. In fact, sometimes I kid, I kid with one of our one of our colleagues, who's Brandy Biswell, because Brandy has a ring like Cheryl does that tells you all things about it. And I said, "Well, how do you read this thing?" She said, "Well, <laughs> yeah, I read it on my phone, and and that affects her. It does tremendously when she sees this news about herself." But this is where you got to take a hard look. But the, again, you got to make a decision. You're not going to participate in this crap. Yeah. You're just not going to participate. Yeah. You know, I, I think that that's so good. I, in, in my journey, you know, I, I got the chance to start managing a, my own fireplace store back around 2011 or so. And so things were things were, you know, coming out of the downturn at that point. But for me, you know, the store I inherited, basically, it was it was a really nasty building in a dirty parking lot that had, you know, no business name, no foot traffic. And, and it just was not like a good part of town. The deck was stacked against us. It felt like a recession because in a given week, we might have three people walking in the entire week. And so the question kind of became when we don't have foot traffic, when we don't have a marketing budget. How do we do business? And, and that's where I really want to spend the lion's share of our time. And, and I'd love to chat with you guys too, about what you guys are seeing and thinking about, because you know, for us, what it kind of came down to was being intentional with every single customer. And I guess to, to kind of kick it off, I'd love to talk about the idea of having a sales process. My, my friend, Tim Rethlake, has been traveling around the country speaking at different HPBA events this year. And I was with him in Austin, Texas a couple of weeks ago. And he, he asked the crowd, he said, hey, you know, I, I have a question, you know, for, for those of you that are here. How many of you have a sales process documented where you could talk to one of your new hires and on paper, you could say, here's the steps to make a sale whether it's three steps, five steps, 10 steps, and not one business could raise their hand. And Tim said, this is the fourth event I've done this year and no one's been able to raise their hand. And then he said, how many of you guys have a training program? When someone comes into your business and is talking specifically for salespeople, you know, where you line out their first month or their first six weeks with the company day by day by day. So you know how to train somebody and nobody raised their hand. And he said, this is, uh, this is again, the fourth event. And, and, and that's, that's mostly hearth retailers. That's not as heavy on the chimney side, but he's talking to hearth retailers saying like, well, man, you're worried about the down economy, but you don't have a sales process. So like, that's not going to help you. You know, when, when things dry up, you got to fall back onto your process that gives you results. I guess I'd love to team with you guys up to talk about whether it's on the trading and onboarding side or whether it's on the sales process side, why is that so important? And, and what does it look like? Okay. So you want me to go first? I guess you're going okay, first. So, okay. Okay. So Tim, I want you to hold your hand out in front of the camera. Okay. Just hold it out like that. Okay. Now put your fingers together. Now split them apart. Okay. Okay. As they're split apart right now, 
Just that is your business. So this is the money that is sliding through. Just imagine you're holding a handful of sand right now yep. and it's coming out of your hands. That makes sense. Yeah, to it you? Does. So when you talk about this while ago, it is all of the above. One of the things that we have promoted for years, I became a student of Michael Gerber back in the 90s. I was able to have breakfast with him and met, and I learned the value of what systems are. Yeah. In fact, I wrote a book about it called Standardizing Standard Operating Procedures. We're also network a lot with Al Levy, who is a leading expert in writing manuals, SOPs. He calls them manuals. I call them SOPs. But yeah, you got to have the training. You got to have the onboarding, and you got to have the systems to put it together. But there's an additional challenge today that's coming up that's hit that's kicking our butts, and that is the short-term career of your workers. Yeah. And the re- I just did an article for Sweeping Magazine, and it was all about how long the career is. In the service sector of America, at this point, the average career is 1.9 years. 1.9 years. If we look at people in the 25 to 34-year-old age bracket, overall, it is two. 2.8 years. Now, the amazing thing is last year, that was 2.7 in the service sector, and it's now dropped to 1.9. And as we look, this is where I got a little problem with the way the leadership of our country is. Because how often do you hear we created more jobs? Mm-hmm. We created 535,000 new jobs last month. And what is it doing to create the people to fill these jobs? Yeah. And when you look at it, I can guarantee you, everyone that's sitting in front of us right now, hiring people and retaining them is one of the the most hugest challenges that we have out yeah. here today. So you got to have these systems. And when people don't have it, I'll give you an example. We're from the South, okay? And when I was in the retail business, the biggest product that people walked into our store for was a vent-free gas log. Now, you're from the West Coast. You probably didn't see it like we did. Yeah. Northern South Carolina is the capital of vent-free appliances in America. There's more sold in those two states and in Florida than anywhere else in the country. So the customer came in and they would ask, how can we help you? They mm-hmm. go through the, the normal, we put our pitch in. I'm here to look at some gas logs. Really? So what do you, you know, and they wanted vent-free gas logs. This was uh, utmost, this was yep. right at the top of their minds. So we wrote a system up and the system told our salespeople how to take the direct, the vent-free shopper to turn them into a direct vent. Now, what was even more shocking about this was we, no one even knew what a direct vent was in these days. Sure. Okay. Now, again, this is much prior to you. Because I can remember when Vent, when direct vent rolled out this industry, and it was predicted to be a big failure. Nobody's going to buy a yeah. fireplace with a pipe sticking out the side wall yeah. of a house. This ain't natural. Well, the Shimmicks proved that wrong. Okay, and then Travis and everybody got into direct vent. But being able to write this system down. In fact, I had I had two chimney sweeps one time, and they wanted to put my people to the test. Yeah. And they walked in and pretended to be secret shoppers and came in. And after they got done with it, they said, "Is Jerry here?" I said, "Yeah." Well, we're old friends. As we'll see him. And they came back in my office and told me, said. We just put your people through the test and they did exactly what you said. (laughs) They turned us into a direct vent insert buyer. And Tim, this resulted in massive amounts of direct vent inserts that nobody else was selling. So we were separating ourselves. 
makes a ton of sense. And, and I think it just goes back to like, there's, there's gotta be a way to move from A to Z. And that's what I've seen. I, I secret shopped six retailers on the East coast about, Oh, about a month ago or so when, when we were together, John and, and truly, you know, no one had a process to move me along. No, no company. And these are not slouch businesses, but they, no one had a process to take me from A to Z. Cheryl, can you talk about a sales process? Well, before I get to that, let's just, you know, the thing is, we take these people that we hire, and I do a lot of hiring for a lot of companies, and we throw them in without the knowledge. Yes. And we assume because they're human, they're going to be able to sell. We don't tell them how to do it. Um, we don't tell them when to step it up, what to do. I'm not an upsell kind of person. Yep. I'm a person that I like to sell what I believe in. Yep. And I think, number one, that's the biggest fault in the sales process. You don't get your salesman believing in what they're selling. Yeah. And if they can do that, and then you can lead them down the path. Yep. And this path needs to be written because like steps, you can see them. And I, I think every process needs to be written in a form that anyone can read. Yeah. We tend to write like we talk. Jerry does that a lot. And that's great, except when you're talking to somebody that doesn't hear like you speak, yeah. they're not going to read like you wrote. Yep. yep. And so I think it needs to be a simple mm -hmm. process. Yeah. Uh, the simpler, the better. If you're going to do a sales process, if you write it, give it to one of these guys to yeah. see if they can follow it, see if it makes yeah. sense to them. Yeah. And, and for, for those of you who are listening and, and here in the room, I mean, there's, there's honestly, there's a, there's a seven step sales process that like I always teach It's what we use in our retail stores. And for us, it works really, really well, both in for in-home sales and for the showroom. And, and the process is really simple. Greet the customer, understand their problem, advise the solution, explain the process, call to action, pursue the opportunity and show gratitude. Now that's a sales process, but there's a million of them, right? Like you could take a three-step sales process. Hey, first step one, we're going to interview the customer to understand what they need. Step two, we're going to show them three solutions that will solve their problem. And then step three, we're going to ask them to get started. Perfect. Like, that's great. But it's about having a process you yeah. can teach. Before, Jerry. Okay. So, Tim, a couple things. Number one, Dave Levitt just made an excellent comp type. Sometimes it's tough to decide when to start talking codes to customer. Dave, listen carefully. <laughs> Number uh -oh. one problem, chimney service industry. We try to beat the customer up with a code book. Come here. Let me slap you upside the head with this NFPA 211 and this IRC till I beat you in the submission and you buy. Okay. That's, you don't talk codes. I don't care. I'm a consumer. Do I really care? I mean, there's an old saying, I'm 21. I'm free. It's my house. I can do what I want to. And I honestly believe that in order to do this, we have to understand two things. We have to understand our own behavior patterns, and we have to understand the behavior patterns of our customers, such as I'm a person, I want in bullet points. If you come in and give me a 30-minute dissertation over codes, guess what? You lost me back at the five-minute part, yep. okay? I don't care. I want to know what's in it for me. Yeah. Why do I want to do this? Now, in my world, can you imagine I will be a difficult customer to work with? I think that if I could solve your problem and move quickly, you'd, you'd exactly be great. right. Such as when an HVAC contractor comes to my house, it's a, I'm looking at them from what I do of a technician, just like the guys are in here of what their technicians would do. They're coming to a home. 
and I, I need something done. They can't price it. They can't, they got oh, my attention. I'm so glad right you brought this now. up. We are going down this rabbit right. hole in a second. And <laughs> what we did, you know, it's like I recently had in our pool house the HVA system went out. Okay, so here it is. Come out, check it out. And they said, well, the owner will be in touch with you next week with the price on the new system. Like. Nope. What you, you in lose. the world? You lose. Yeah, you, you lose. lose. You and lose. see, and it's also being able to quote. Just this week, we have some trees we need trim. Okay, so I found a guy came out, give me a quote on my trees. Number one issue took him three weeks to get the quote. Okay, yeah. and my belief is if it takes you three weeks to give me the quote, how long is it going to take you to come to me to to answer a problem? Okay. Yep. Am I going to wait three weeks for for that? No. Yeah. So now I got this quote, and it was way higher than we that anticipated. Was way out of line. It was almost like he took three weeks to make. That yeah, decision. and it's like, and you know, it's like I can't. You know, I I can't, I don't know what all's involved here. Why this is so high to trim a couple limbs out of some trees? Yeah. Okay, and part of it's because they didn't tell us what we just got through saying explain to the people why it is. I mean, yep. if they'd have told me I've got to bring a boom lift right. in here and do all this, yeah. maybe right. I would have, maybe not, yeah. but and, maybe I'd have looked at right. it better. On the quote, it even said, we're going to need to drive through your yard. But what it didn't say was, if there's any damage, we will correct the damage. So what am I going to do here? Now i got these this truck yeah. coming in. You're going to bury it up in the yard. Now I'm going to have to fix the ruts in my yard. Yeah. And I ain't got time for that. Okay. I want somebody to come in and do it. So you got to understand the customer. And when I went through Gilmer sales coach training, the key things that Gilmer taught was you got to build trust. Yeah. You got to build a relationship. And when I phrase it that, when I'm doing sales training is you've got to let the customer know that you love and care about them. Oh, yeah. You really do. And you look at it and that's, that's, where you've got to really analyze your processes today. And you said the thing a while ago, if you don't have a process, then everybody that works for you is going to have a different yep. process. Yep. We'll get back to our conversation with Jerry and Cheryl Eisenhower in just one second. Hey, if you've been listening to this episode of the podcast and have questions about what your business should do as the economy starts to tighten up and you want to get those answered on this podcast, our very last episode this season is going to be a Q&A episode with myself and the legend Tim Rethlake. Now, Tim is retiring in the very near future, and this may be your last chance to get your questions answered by him on this podcast, so make sure to take advantage of sending them in. My email address is tim at itsfiretime.com. Send in those questions. We're going to answer them in the last episode of this season. Well, I, I want to rein this back in and I want to address some of the questions that we've had and also just open it up to you guys as well. You know, I, I, I think that like the sales process is just, it's so important to have because if you're reinventing the wheel with every customer, no one can get better. We can't train to anything. And if by some miracle we do have a new technician or, you know, salesperson that comes to work for us and we don't have a process to train them to, of course we can't keep them, right? Because yeah, they can't succeed. So here's a, here's a question that was, was submitted and and this is you submitted this one, so so let's tackle this first. You talked about the best way to initiate change for the season crew, and I, I want to pose that to Cheryl first. So how would you how would you tackle that if, if you know that things are changing? 
and your crew has has some experience and, and it's, it's tough to to change behavior how do you how would you do that well basically transparency is my first level don't go in and try to brush it over be very transparent but lay out what you're doing. But the main thing, tell them why you're doing it. Yeah. Because the generations look beyond us is that's what they're needing. They need the why. Yep. Why are we doing this? Not just we are. And I think that's where people make their pitfalls. They go in, they change, and it's like, we're going to change next week. And if you're a seasoned employee, you're not good with that. Oh, yeah. I mean, we came up having to go through change. Now change is put on us on a daily basis. But I believe just the transparency, the explanations, and be honest with them. Uh, Tell them that you don't know if this is going to work. I think that's rarely high because we always go in and say, this is going to make us better. And it doesn't always do that. And if you do that once, the next time's worse on you and the next time's worse. Go in with, we're going to try this to see if it works in our company. I love that humility. Me and Matt have talked about that a lot at Wi-Fire as, you know, we're a small company. We're we're working on just different initiatives and things to help our partners. And there's been a lot of conversations around that about like, this is what we have to do. This is why. And we don't know if it's going to work, but we're going to, we're going to try to. Yeah, I, I think the why really is the big deal. I mean, and and it, you know, for me, I'm I'm a millennial, and and I don't know, you're <laughs> laughing at me already. I'm a millennial though, and 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 understanding why it's really hard for me to fall in line with something if I don't understand why it's happening. And but I but I I, I think that while that is very true of younger people, I think that there also just been a, a change in society where you know we're we're seeing the uh, you know, the industrial revolution come to an end and, you know, the idea of going in to work at a factory for 30 years, getting an amazing retirement pension when you're done, like that, that's just not a thing anymore. And and we are seeing people change jobs quicker and there's, there's much more, I should say, there's less of an expectation that I can count on my employer or the government or whoever to take care of me. And because of that, because we don't have as much inherent trust in the systems and organizations around us, we have to know why. Right. Because, well, I mean, I've only been here for two years. Can I really trust my company to just know what's right? And I, and I think that I think that that idea of explaining why I think that that's really important. Cheryl, Jerry, you had a comment. The distrust that you're talking about. I'm a big student of history. So if you go back, when did people stop trusting the government? Tim, do you know? Uh, 1980s? No, it was in the 1960s. And the reason the distrust started at that time was because of the Vietnam War. The Vietnam War all of a sudden was reporting live from Vietnam and the stories that we were being told as the public was not true. So this was when in the 50s, people trusted the government. They trusted Dwight Eisenhower. They trusted him. He was a general. He had led them through the war. But as we got into the 60s, we also went through a period where we had massive, you know, we had assassinations of world leaders. We had John Kennedy, Robert Kennedy, Martin Luther King. And all of a sudden, the trust factor started going down. But in in response to you, as a millennial... And actually, you don't act as millennial, so you know. You are not, no, you are not the classic millennial, okay? I've had too much contact with you. I would classify you as a millennial with baby boomer 
opinions. And I really, really mean that when I say Thank that. You. Okay. And there's other people that I've got as clients that it's hard to believe they're in the millennial age group. But when you look at it, when in the sixties and the seventies, if you told an employee to jump, his question was how high, how high? Yeah, that's but right. today what's going to happen is the millennial mind says, well, why am I jumping? Yep. So it goes down again, just like a, you've got to understand yep. your people. Yeah, I developed a point of view when I was speaking, when I went through speak training, which is, and a point of view is where you speak from everything. And mine is about the pain of change. And here's here's what it is. Change is painful. It's up to each of us to decide if we want to go through the pain of change or continue in the pain that we're in. Yeah. Okay. And that's what this is. But if you're going to affect change, Jonathan, in your company, everybody's got to be bought into it. And that's. It happens. And if they're not bought in, you're just opening up an explosion or implosion in the company. Yeah. I'm seeing it happen to leading companies in this country. Their employees don't understand what they're doing. They don't understand why they're going there. Yeah. One of the things that I think about with that, I'm pointing to Matt right here in, in the room, is as you know, as, as me and Matt work together. So I, I totally agree with you on vision, mission, core values. And that was a big thing for us, uh, putting that together for our business. One of the things that, that we have built in as a practice is we take a half day every quarter to review our mission, our vision, our core values, and just talk about why are we doing this, where are we living into these core values, and in particular, we have our goals and objectives for about the next four years written out quarter by quarter, and so every quarter, we review the last quarter, and, and there's probably, I'd say there's four to ten small things per quarter that we're trying to do. These are not big tasks, but they're small things that lead, they're small objectives that lead to our big goals. We have have five big goals as a company. And what we do at the end of the quarter is we just review, hey, why are we here? Where do we live into our core values this last quarter? Where do we fall short of them? And then as we keep talking about it, we'll say, okay, here's the the seven, eight things last quarter that we were going to set out to do. Did we do them? And we look at them and then we decide, well, if we didn't do this, do we let it burn and we forget about it? Or do we need to move this up into this quarter? Okay, if we move it into this quarter, does that mean we need to take some of it from this quarter and move it, you know, and we, we're looking proactively. And that rhythm has really been awesome to help keep us on the same page. But I, I think that it, it's a combination of understanding why, but then also meeting regularly around it to calibrate. Right. I think that's the biggest thing is that for so many people, when they're not invested into with regular meetings, I, I think it's really hard to, to stay aligned and I, I, we got to keep moving because there's, there's more questions I want to get to. Um, this comes in from, from uh, our friend Richard and Richard said, how effective is flat rate menu pricing in this down economy? He has a part two that I'm going to ask, but I want to ask this to you, Jerry, how effective is flat okay. rate menu pricing? So Richard is a client of mine. In fact, I was just did a SWAT last week. So, Richard comes out of the HVAC industry. Flat rate pricing was developed in the plumbing industry many years ago by a guy named Frank Bloom. Okay. And what it was, was where plumbers started giving flat pricing on what they were doing. So this has become very paramount in many of the service centers in HVAC, plumbing, garage doors. And you look at this, flat rate pricing is very, very predominant. And Richard has developed a system that is the best I can tell you, it is slap remarkable because in his flat rate pricing, if you if his texts are there, then he gives you 
five options. Now, the only thing I, I really don't like five options, but that's Richard's choice of sure. what he produces. Yeah. I think three options are the right number. Okay. Three options to me, but by giving this, we're instead of getting it broke down, I'm getting the flat price because I used to tell, tell customers when come in, they'd say, how much is that gas log? I said, well, really what you're wanting to know is how much you're going to spend when you're completely dead and done. Yep. So let's talk generalities. Okay. And let's say we sold vent free. We sold vented. We sold direct vent. And what we would give them was a budget range pricing to put the vent free log in, put the, the, the vented log in and the direct vent gas yeah. insert in. So we would give them the so flat rate pricing. It worked excellent. We had flat rate pricing in our retail store. If you came in, you needed a free standard stove with floor protection and a class A chimney system and double wall stove pipe. We had it ready to go. Here it is. Boom, boom, boom. When, it, when we were showing it and we could give people, okay, the stove's 2000 and I'm just going to talk general sure. terms and that installation, that's a $1,500 installation. So you're needing a $3,500 budget. Yeah, Cheryl, what's your take on, on flat rate pricing? Um, I, I like it because it gives me the bottom number really fast. Yep. The thing is, uh, Richard's question was in a down economy. Yeah, I think in a down economy, it's even more effective than when we're going up because it gives that person a lower choice if they have to choose it then with the chance of an upgrade yes. in the future. So I think in a down economy, I had rather know right now as opposed to get into it and yep. then be choked with the number. Yeah, I, I love that. And I, I kind of want to go down this rabbit hole here for a minute because, Jerry, you talked about the people that came to your house for the, the quote on your trees that couldn't provide something on site. And this is one thing that I found is that is that many chimney companies in particular, when they get out to the house, they are not able to turn around the estimate right then. And I, and I mean, I'm, I'm serious. If you If you don't turn the estimate around in the home and you leave, even if you send it 24 hours later, you're, I mean, you're losing hundreds of thousands of dollars of business a year. It's got to be turned around in the home. And that means the appointment may have to be longer. It means that you probably have to go out your, to your truck for 15, 20 minutes to work on it and come back. You got to build that expectation. And, but when we think about this, like the reason I, I think this is such a good question and the answer is absolutely yes. Flat rate pricing is what every company has to go to. But in, in today's world, we have seen busyness and speed increase like crazy. And I can jump on Amazon and get the price of anything that I want to know, right? If I'm going to buy a car, I can figure out what the price of the car is going to be instantaneously. And I, as a consumer, expect the exact same thing for my service or retail companies that I'm talking with. And so if you think about this, if someone calls your chimney business and says, hey, can you come out? You know, how long does it take? A week, two weeks? Take some time to get somebody out to the house. So they've already waited a week to week and a half, which is unheard of. Does Amazon make you wait a week and a half? No. So wait a week and a half. You come out to the house, measure everything up. You look around. Well, hey, you know, here's the repair. This is what code says. Here's the problem. We're going to help you with it. And uh, well, I'll send that to you in a couple of days. You're the consumer thinking, are you kidding me? Like I've waited a week and a half. I've taken two hours off of work. And you can't give me the price. So what do they do? Well, their momentum is high. But since you can't deliver, now they're going to start shopping you. Because they've got all the information they've heard from you at that visit. But you have not delivered on being the pro. Being the pro means you turn that quote around in the home. And that's a big thing with like me and Matt. We've talked about this with Wi-Fi. It's like our goal is that Wi-Fi you know, allows you to quote any airplace totally custom on site in seconds. Because providing that in the home is such a big deal. Now, I want to go back 
one step even further to what, what you said, Jerry, is this. It's providing that initial estimate. So now this is true for hearth retailers. I was just kind of picking on chimney guys in the house. For hearth retailers, where they get it wrong is someone will call their business or they'll walk into a hearth store. And hearth retailers in general don't write up a preliminary estimate, which is insanity. They'll talk about the products and they'll say, oh, yeah, well, you know, these can cost this much. It really just kind of depends, though. We got to come out and, and, and measure it up. So we got to come look at the job. And so, again, a customer schedules that appointment and the hearth retailer is out a week and a half. So the customer is waiting, 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 waiting. They still don't really know what it's going to be because nothing's been documented. It doesn't matter what's been said. Nothing's been documented. So they get out to the house. They take a look at it. And let's say a hearth retailer can turn that bid around. Well, the customer hasn't had much time to think about it. And so they can't really make a decision on this. Now, if we can give an initial estimate range, though, that can change. So like when someone calls your chimney company and says, you know, hey, here's what I've got to be able to say, here's a range of what most people spend on a project like this. I'll, I'll send you a preliminary range of our, of our projects. We can schedule you. If the customer is willing to look at that price range and schedule the appointment, they're giving you permission to sell them something that expensive. And we've seen this with retailers that if you, if, if there's a retailer, someone goes into a store and you can give them a price tag of 7,000 to 8,500 bucks and say, we're going to come out and take a look at it. Here's the average install price for a job like this. When the customer has waited a week and a half staring at that price, all of a sudden when you come out to the house and you're right in the pocket, they're going to buy because they'll cancel the appointment if you're too expensive. And I think in a down economy, flat rate <coughs> pricing is is necessary. I, I used to work for a company where our service rate was, I, I don't remember the exact numbers, but basically our service rate was $60 an hour. This is for one technician, $60 an hour, build out in 15 minute increments, minimum of 45 minutes. And it's like, how confusing is that for the customer? Well, so wait, how long does it take to change the thermocouple? Well, you know, the parts in the thermocouple, it could be $80. It could be $250, depending on the manufacturer. And usually it takes an hour and a half. So, you know, at $60 an hour, that would be uh, $90 plus your thermocouple. And the customer's sitting there thinking, what? What does this cost? Whereas when I when my fuel pump goes out in my car and I take it to the Toyota dealer, they say, it's 450 bucks. And I can decide, do I have the budget or do I not? It's not... Well, the fuel pump is, you know, $179. And if we, if we have our lead mechanic do it, well, you know, that rate is $200 an hour. And if we have our, our assistant do it, it's $150 an hour. And it usually takes 45 minutes, but it might take an hour. But you might say, like, the uncertainty in this world, uncertainty is the end. And flat rate pricing creates certainty. And the best thing is if you scare them away with a high price, you got a flat rate for a different one. So I'm, I'm with you, Cheryl. Like when I say I'm not about the upsell, like I'll work with a customer's budget. Mm -hmm. Now I'll push their budget if I think it's going to solve their problem, but I'll work with their budget. So you like, you just, you give them the flat rate and you ask them, okay. how, how's this look? And they'll tell you. So I don't mean to just, you know, rant on that, but I think, I think a not giving an initial estimate upfront before you've ever been out there. I think that that's foolish because it's like the bouncer at the club. But instead of saying you got to be 21 or older to get into the club, it's saying you got to be willing to spend eight to 10 grand for us to come out to the house. Now, you got to nuance that and be delicate with it. But that initial estimate will save so much time and focus the customer's momentum. But number two, when you're at that house, you have to turn around a final quote before you leave. You have to. Okay. So Dave Levitt has just asked a question here. And I'm going to, if you want to put yeah. it up, and I want to address that in a minute. But what you're talking about is budget range quoting. 
budget range. And one of the problems with the chimney service industry is we deal with a lot of large restoration jobs. Okay. Like he's in, he's in Boston. He's in the New York market. And what you're talking about, and I don't know if you know this or not, but we have chimney restoration jobs that can run 20, 30, 40, $50,000. I've seen them up to a hundred thousand dollars. And actually it just blows my mind because when I look how much I paid for my first house, I'm like, my God, that's what we're putting into chimneys today. But what are consumers looking for? And this is what I'm looking for. Just tell me where we're at. Give yeah. me, are we $5,000? Are we $2,500? Are we $1,000? And then you can zero it down. But Dave has asked, I understand the importance of writing up an estimate on the spot. But if your estimate is 10K to 30K, how many customers are going to agree to go with yep. you on the spot? Dave, dead on the money. Yep. Some will. And this is number one where we track the closing percentages. And what we see as we track it, guess what? Joe's closing 30%. But John's only closing 5%. So is what's the problem here? The problem is this guy's got to learn what this guy's doing. And the more you can document the process, the more you can trace it back and fix the problem of what causes. Does that make sense? Yeah. But yeah, we're dead in agreement. Budget rate. If you're going out and you're telling the customer, I'm going to get a quote to you by such and such, the biggest fault that we see in this industry is people don't get their quotes. Yep. And they call back, and we hear the, and we hear this in the SWAT meetings because the ladies and guys in the office are taking the phone calls, and they're telling the guys. And this is the whole thing. If you tell a customer you're going to get a quote by tomorrow morning at 9 o'clock, then by 8.59, that quote needs to be there. If oh, yeah. not, you didn't meet your customer promise. And if you don't meet a promise to a customer, you're going to lose oh, yeah. the relationship. When you break that, what, that puts a wall up. And yeah. scaling that wall's a real problem. Yeah. So I think this is, David, such a good question. It's the same one before about, about code. And I just want to circle back and make sure we answer that. And Dave, you know, my opinion back to your code question is we bring out code when it solves their problem. When it doesn't solve their problem, we leave it out. That's for us to know, not the customer. This question is so good. So like, you know, what if the estimates 10 to 30,000, it's a huge range. I would still say that on the initial, in the initial interaction before the call is booked, whether it's done on the internet or whether it's done on the phone or in a showroom, I would recommend some kind of an average install range just to focus the customer you know, momentum. If someone tells me, hey, Tim, you know, I know you're looking at a chimney I'd like to ask you a few questions um, just to give you an idea of, of about what these jobs cost. And, and they could ask me 10, 15 questions. And that should correspond, again, going to flat rate pricing, that should correspond to a flat rate price or a range where you could say, you know, well, we'll come out and take a look at it. I'd say, you know, many people in your situation, they could spend anywhere from 15000 to $25,000 on a project like this. It, it could be less, but that's usually what, what people spend. Now, if I'm the customer and I say, oh gosh, that's a lot. Well, I don't want to book that appointment. Okay. Well, we can, we have a process. We can fall back on that or we can just let it go. But if I say, oh man, that's a lot. Okay. Well, we need to get it done. When can you guys come out? Now I'm on the hook as the customer. I'm focused. So I still believe in doing it. And the question that Dave had is, you know, how many will how many customers will agree with you on the spot if it's thirty thousand dollars? And it's a great question. And and I'll say I don't know, but it's going to be more. It's going to be one hundred percent more than if you don't do it on the spot, right? So if you if you don't quote on the spot, no one will go with you. But if you if you quote on the spot, some people will. In addition to that, though, what it does is it keeps momentum moving. So sales is a game of momentum, and momentum is high when we're out of the house. 
So if we can give that number there again, like I got a, I got a roof done, you know, this year and it was expensive. And when people came out, I told them right away, I said, I'm, I'm not going to buy today. Just so you know, I'm getting three bids and I'm going to weigh it all. I'm not going to go at the cheapest price, but I'm going to get three bids, look it all over. So I set the expectation, but they still turned around to bid that day. Now, what you can do when you turn around to bid that day is now you go to step six in the sales process, you pursue the opportunity. So if you track your sales process by pipeline stages, right? Stage one being an initial estimate, stage two being a scheduled appointment, stage three being a finalized quote, and then stage four being a sale. Well, now I can move that customer in my dashboard of my CRM to stage three. Okay, the bid's been finalized. Here's the notes from the job. I'm going to call them back in two days because they may not be ready on the spot, but I mean, they're probably going to be ready within a week, week and a half on many of these jobs. So I think that I think that it's a great question, Dave. And what I would say is that by turning it around, then you've got a chance, but it keeps momentum high for the customer. And now you plug them into the follow up process. Cheryl, do you have anything on the follow up process? Well, the thing about it, one thing I hear everybody saying that we need to do, we assume that everybody we cut quote is our customer. Everyone you quote is not your customer. And if you're going to lose them with that number, when you get down to the bottom number, you're still going to lose them. Yes. Right. You got to have confidence. You have to speak with confidence. You know, it's like I'm going to do a presentation later today in this, in this convention. Do you think I'm going to walk in there scared that somebody's not going to accept what I'm getting ready to say? No, that we're going to go in. Yeah. We're going to do the show. And if somebody disagrees, hey, that's fine. That's their opinion. But I have the confidence to walk into that. And that's what you have to have. And again, they, that's where I suggest that record your conversation with the customer. That's the neat thing about softwares today. You can record the customer's phone calls and listen to what's going on. Does your voice waver? Is there something that says, don't trust me? Is there, and you got to look at yourself when you got to have it, but you have to walk into this with confidence that I'm going to win. You have to get up every morning, especially if we go back to what the intention is of this entire show today, going into the potential down economy, you better come into it with some confidence. If you're going to come in, it's scared. Guess what? You're going to lose. Yeah. You're going to lose. One thing with that, Jerry, and, and I think, again, this question of Dave's is so insightful is it, it is scary. You know, if it's, if you tell a customer, you know, yeah, many people spend, you know, 10 to $25,000 on something like this, that is, that is scary. And there will be people okay. that hang up the phone or that, that don't book the call. But the thing, the thing to think about with this, just like you said, Cheryl, not everyone's your customer. And this is what I found. And again, this is more on the hearth. Imagine it's on the sweep side as well. Hearth retailers' problem is that they say yes to everything, and they end up with bad jobs that they shouldn't have taken on. And, and the reason they say yes to everything is they don't write up enough estimates. When you write up four times as many estimates, you get to pick the jobs you pursue. And so this has been something that me and Matt have built into Wi-Fi. Is like in our CRM dashboard, every opportunity ranked as an A, B, C, or D-level job, just like a school grade. And so you know when I was managing my retail stores – our rule was if a, if a customer is an A or a B level customer, we want seven follow-ups with every customer. If they're C or D, never follow up. It's as simple as that, right? And and so I, I think that this idea of it is scary, but it's okay because not every customer is an A level customer. If someone listens to that price range and it goes, eh, I don't, I don't think we can afford that, but yeah, we'll go ahead and and we'll we'll book the appointment. Well, I mean, that's telling you something about that about that customer. 
the last thing I'll say, Andrea, I'd like to I'd like to kick it to you, and then I'd like to open it up just for any any final questions here. Is I'll, I'll tell a story. So about about three years ago in our retail store, we had a new salesperson start, and he started September first. And my whole thing with training new salespeople is that it takes about five weeks to train a salesperson. Now, that doesn't mean training them to be able to do everything. That process can take a couple of years. But within five weeks, you can have an effective salesperson. But here was the rule for him. He was only allowed to sell a gas insert into a masonry fireplace that already had gas inside of it. That was it, right? I mean, pretty easy, right? I mean, how do you measure for that? Well, can this box fit inside of this box, right? There's already gas inside of it. So there's not a lot to this job. And for him, we found that this brand new team member was selling just about as much as people that had been in the company and in the industry for decades because the focus. What about all the zero clearance fireplace customers? What about gas inserts where there's not, you know, a line already to the fireplace? Well, you're not selling those. Like you can give it to someone else, but you're not selling those. And the whole thing is that there's way more pie than we think there is. There are so many good jobs out there and good customers out there that we're not even touching because we're going after everything else. So I think I think going back to your question, Dave, you, you will lose some, but I, I think that by building an easy process where you're transparent with the customer to say, yeah, this is a, about what most people spend. We want to come out to your house because it can be higher and it can be a little bit lower, but here's where most people spend that fast tracks you and it and it puts the customer on the hook to be serious. Cheryl, I want to I want to maybe just ask you any any thoughts before we open it up for a couple final questions. Yeah, the main thing is trust. Make that into your company, be transparent. And you know, just move the sales slowly. You you've got to get there fast, but you still slow is fast. Slowly. And so we as looking at the customer Instead of looking yourself as the salesman, look at how you would feel if you were that person you were looking into their eyes. Yeah, that's so good. Well, guys, you know, we hope this has been helpful for, for you and and that as, as this does tighten up, like we don't need to panic. You know, just like you said, like like we can we can still operate our business and not live in fear. But we do need to realize that things are changing. You know, when the, when the tide goes out, you see it's been skinny day. And there's a lot of businesses that have been doing a lot of the wrong things and they've been getting by. But that that is changing. And uh, the hope is that, you know, today it's given some value to you guys just to be encouraged and to know that there is there is a way to do it right. And I'm pumped for this Chimney Expo. And, and truly, I mean this, Jerry and Cheryl, um, there's no one in our industry that's doing what you guys are doing. I, I mean that sincerely. There, there is no one that is so invested in the growth and development of, of the people in our industry. You're both incredible servants to it. And I'm, I'm honored to get to chat with you. So thanks for being here. Well, I hope you guys enjoyed that conversation with Jerry and Cheryl Eisenhower. I get so much value out of talking with them. And, you know, Jerry's someone that has just been a friend and a mentor to me for a number of years. And truly, he married up. And, and Cheryl is Man, she is so wise in what she does. You know, she's somebody who performs disc assessments. She is very tied in with the Ziegler organization. And they are just such a power couple in what they do. I know that many of you who listen to this podcast are clients of Jerry's or have worked with Jerry in the past, and they're just doing really, really cool things. And and I'm telling you, those people are leaving a legacy. You know, there's a lot of things we covered in this conversation that were incredibly practical. Talking about a sales process, I mean, I'm telling you, you know, for the last two years, 
so many fish have been jumping in the boat that many companies have been trying to take buckets and throw them out of the boat because they haven't been able to handle what's coming in. But when things dry up and you actually have to start using bait again, a sales process is the secret sauce. I mean, we talked about it in last week's episode. You heard us talk about it today. When nothing is documented, nothing gets better. It's just the way it works. When nothing is documented, nothing gets better. And so by taking the time to develop your process, whether you use the fire time sales process, which are those seven steps we discussed, whether it's a different one, that's fine. The point is to document your process and it will get better as you use it. So take those steps right now before it's too late. You know, another thing that we got into is the idea of how team members are harder to come by now and there is latent distrust of their employers. And I think what Jerry said was so wise about the kind of disillusionment that many of today's youth feel. And not not just today's youth, but many Americans feel forgotten about and not remembered by those who are in power. And that does translate to us as leaders in companies. This is why it's more important than ever that we have a clear vision, that we have a set of core values, that our team members know where we're going this quarter, the next quarter, and the next quarter. Those things do so much. And and, and it can seem like, you know, warm and fluffy moments to come up with a you know, a mission statement and core values. But I believe it's some of the most important things we can do. You heard the episodes last season. We we did a, a little three-part mini-series on this. But I'm telling you, it's what keeps us at Wi-Fi anchored. Me and Matt Bradley talk about this all the time. Like every quarter, we take a half day out of the office to review our mission statement, review our core values, and then review our goals and objectives for that quarter and the next quarter. And we come away feeling so aligned and it's amazing how even doing it every three months, which is still pretty frequent, we still find, man, we actually started to stray here. It's a good thing that we have this to bring us back. When things tighten up from an economic perspective, we always have to go back and trust the fundamentals. And I hope that you took some of those fundamentals away in this conversation. You know, I really meant what I said about Jerry and Cheryl. I am honored to get to speak with them. I'm, I'm honored to have been able to share the stage with them at different events. And the way that they have served this industry, often thanklessly, is really, really cool. So I hope that you're paying attention to the content they're producing as well as part of the CVC Coaching Network. Now, if this podcast has been a blessing to you and you want to support it financially, you can do that by going to the website, patreon.com slash it's fire time. That's p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com slash it's fire time. And it honestly means the world to those of you who support this. We, we do not take it at all for granted. And the funds that you guys contribute allow the podcast to hopefully continue to get better and better with audio quality and content with guests and, and focus and direction. But we have some really, really special events that are planned for the future and the contributions that you guys provide allow us to do that. So thank you very much. And, and I hope that we are picking up our end of the stick and giving you value in return for your support. So I hope you guys have an amazing rest of the week. This whole tail end of the season is going to be really, really cool. And I'll talk to you again very soon. Thank you for listening to the Firetime Podcast. To learn more, visit the website, itsfiretime.com. Music from this episode was written and recorded by In Bloom out of Portland, Oregon. We thank you for listening to the Firetime Podcast. 
where it's never hot enough, slow is fast, and the way to win is to make it so stupidly easy to buy from you that there's no excuse not to. We'll see you next time. All in to burn it down.